Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while celebrating the great parts, pointing out the bad parts, and answering questions you never even knew you had. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we can't wait to share our love and hate for your favorite characters. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 7, Our Mojo. And for once I have no fun comment, except before I go into my own summary, the German summary was so stupid because they say Lucifer's talisman broke and I'm pretty sure they mistranslated charm. Germans, get your shit together. This is the second time in a row. Yeah, German description, once again, completely weird. So instead, have mine. Yes, please. After sexy times, Lucifer has apparently lost his mojo, which now seems to have passed on to Chloe and thus causes all kinds of tensions for our fresh lovebirds. Ella and Pete get to join the fun as the other new couple. We get some character moments from Ames and Mace, and sadly, Michael returns in the worst way possible, delivering us onto the maybe best cliffhanger ever. Well, the obvious obsession of the week this week. I hope we're going to have the same one for the first like five minutes. I was going to say the mojo, but then this word came up over and over and over again. And it was power. I went with vulnerability. Interesting. Ah, Power and vulnerability to me feel like the two sides of the coin. Yeah. Let's just say the obsession of the week is coin and count that one as a win. No, 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 no. I am considering giving this to you and changing mine because throughout the episode the obsessing is about power but it is resolved in opening up and being vulnerable Mm -hmm. i'm willing to change my stance and give this an agreement to power (laughs) i can't believe that that's so rare well when you make a good point then I am happy to concede. Which gives us three out of seven. We're not very good at this this time around. If we agree next time, we're at 50%, just like last season. <laughs> okay. So we'll see how it goes. I, for one, am very excited to talk about this episode. And I'm sure that a lot of things that got me excited are going to be included in your facts and funs. So please, take it away. This time, the facts and funs are going to be long. Even though... As per usual, we're going to put the very IMDb facts into the bonus material. Did you see any pairs? No. Same. But there was so much. Let's get the usual stuff out and then get into the deep. Eight-time director Nathan Hope. Previous app was Orange is the New Mace, all the way back in season three, episode 19. Three more episodes to come. Fifth-time writer Julia Fontana, or Fontana. Previous episode was Infernal Guinea Pig, also all the way back at season 3, episode 16. Two more to come. Episode title is set by Lucifer for a change. Putting Lucifer at the same numbering as our obsession with three out of seven. See, we're doing this for him. Exactly. Let's get into the very curious facts and maybe funs. We'll see. 
Klumski's apartment number is 507, which is also the season and episode number of this episode. Yay! I noticed that all by my lonesome. There was another super weird numbers thingy that I took out because it was so far-fetched. <laughs> it was very IMDb. It was even worse than usual. Serial killers are often found to have a history of torturing and killing small creatures before turning to human victims. The killer's apartment has a wall of different missing pets posters and is ominously filled with obviously former occupied wire cages and small taxidermid animals and insects. Mm. And that I didn't clock on the first viewing because it's really, really dark in the apartment. So nice attention to detail. Possibly a mark of Lucifer's level of panic is that he's forgotten that Linda did ask him what he desired in Lucifer. Anything Pierce can do, I can do better back in 2018 without experiencing any supernatural influence on him whatsoever. So his idea that everyone who had sex with him might have his mojo should have already been off the table. He doesn't have the perfect memory. He just has the perfect never say a lie track record. Well, Lucifer trips over Wurzbeski's the secret center officer and the first victim's home name, even though he is able to speak all languages perfectly. However, season two establishes that he is not able to read as fluently as he speaks, and he clearly looks at the officer's badge before guessing at a pronunciation. The name as spelled appears to exist only for this episode of the series and nowhere else in the real world. So its utter singularity could further explain Lucifer being thrown off by it. That's a great fun fact. The closest this comes to, to a real actual name, is the Polish family name Wierzbiki. I can't say Polish names. How do you spell it? Send it to me in Discord. Wir, wow. <laughs> if you also want to have a try at this pronunciation, please check out my notes. Wierzbicki is my guess. Music note. Curiously, for the third time in season five, a song called Are You Ready? is part of the soundtrack. Each song has a different lyric and singers, but all are played over scenes signaling an important change in story or character direction. I have to admit, when I was writing that song name down, I was like, ah, oh, huh, so many times, but I did not realize that it's an actual pattern, which is interesting. Easter egg. Pete, Ella and the victim are briefly arrayed in a way that represents all three Star Trek The Next Generation Starfleet divisions. Pete in his red command uniform, Ella in her blue sciency ones and the final victim behind them in a blanket matching the yellow gold color of operations for security and engineering. So tricky moment. Not relevant for Vero, relevant for Trekkies. When Lucifer and Chloe come out of the elevator in the killer's apartment, the whole wallpaper matches the carpet in the Overlook Hotel and a child riding a big wheel from The Shining from 1980. Lucifer even comments, well, that bodes well. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite moments of the entire episode. Also, the fact that when they go and look for the woman, for the correct door, when you have the two red door next to each other, it gives you the impression of the two elevator doors opening and the blood coming out. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. It's extremely well done and it's one of my favorite things about this episode. In the foreground of the opening scene, the camera pans over a bronze sculpture resembling Augusta Rodin's The Kiss. Its placement carries layers of meaning. It is famous for its depiction of a couple as equal partners in passion, both absorbed in and yearning for the other. Their lips do not quite meet. 
sharing an embrace that is mutually tender and all the more erotic for it. Subtextually, Rodin created the original sculpture for placement in an epic group work called The Gates of Hell. The larger work is inspired and influenced by Dante Alighieri's Inferno and depicts many iterations of damned souls in and around the gates to hell. However, Rodin ultimately excluded the kiss from the whole because the couple's clear happiness would have contradicted the themes of suffering, torment and doom. Their love literally saved them from hell. Notably, the kiss is the first sculpture shown in Lucifer's penthouse that is not a lone figure. And this is why I love the IMDb facts, because that is something that I would never have known. But also, it's not as far-fetched as a lot of these tend to be. It actually would make sense for them to deliberately put that there. And this concludes the facts and funs for our lovely listeners. Please, deliver us from this. <laughs> I will deliver you into the previously on Lucifer, where Linda and Ames had a baby. Ames and Mace used to do the nasty. <laughs> no, that's not what I've written down. But it's accurate. Mace is in distress because she doesn't have a soul. Ella decided to go on a date with a good guy for a change. Dan was tricked by Michael into seeing Lucifer's devil face. And Lucifer and Chloe finally boned. Yay! Woohoo! Look at that. And speaking of boned, we go right into the post-coital happiness and bliss. They had the sex. They finally had the sex. And initially, I was super annoyed with the fact that Chloe looks way too good. She's got like a perfect face of makeup on. I don't understand how after a wild night of sex, you still look like that. It's impossible. Permanent makeup or something. I don't know. But then she does the snore thing and that completely made it okay for me. Okay, fair. She also asks immediately Lucifer if she was snoring as a trucker and then retracts the question because, and I quote, I know that you never lie. So so she's gotta be careful when fishing for compliments. Yeah, well, I don't think that she needs to fish, though, because I feel like Lucifer is just the type of a person who's gonna apply compliments often. But the usual, does this dress make my butt look fat, is not a question you want to ask Lucifer. Yes, I think that Chloe wouldn't be that type of a person, though. Who needs that type of a validation? However, we're all just humans and we can all have our issues, even with our body image, which is completely fine and completely normal. They continue to be disgustingly happy. And Chloe is hungry. They talk about what to get for breakfast. She straddles him, which is a very nice position. Very much enjoying that. And then she, more as a joke, asks him what he desires. There is no sound effect, so there is no mojo. But then I actually went back and... And we do get a very, very slight sound effect already here and the first official time Chloe uses it, but not after that again. So I say deliberately being misled by the show to have us believe she has actual mojo. I was freaking out. I don't know about you. I was freaking out, especially when I was watching it the first time. And... Lucifer's also freaking out, which is completely understandable. And as much as he tends to be an immature idiot, the first thing that he does is actually go to Linda for advice. And I appreciate that because, yay, he's learning. You're absolutely right, of course. Going to Linda is by far the most mature thing we can expect Lucifer to do. And Linda is back at her super efficient self pumping while doing stuff. And I 
enjoy how proficient Linda is being shown in this episode. She is not hovering over Charlie anymore. She has found a way to combine being a mother with having her job and with having a life. And this is everything that I was hoping they would do with Linda. And I am very, very glad that they did this. So thank you writers for once again proving my trust in you right and proving my worries wrong. Mm. I love the way they resolve the whole Linda Charlie issue and we're gonna get to it later on however what I live for in this episode and it starts with Linda now and will continue with Ella later on is how excited everybody is for Lucifer and Chloe finally having had the sex having had the sex Lucifer gets a little worried and it has been addressed already by you that he has given his mojo to every single person that he have had the sex with and he goes overly scared goes do you think it's possible that I've given my power to everyone I've ever had sex with and I just never knew it no Lucifer that is dumb but we get to make sure we get to make sure which is great so Linda asks him and I honestly love how uncomfortable everyone else is asking this question it really only ever feels natural when Lucifer does it and so wrong when anyone else does it props real props that made me so happy it was very well well done. And Lucifer, I just want to put it out there. I know that it doesn't mean shit to you, but please listen to Linda. You are not just your mojo. You are a full grown person with layers like an onion. You're like an yes. onion. And yes. yes, your mojo is a part of you, but it is not the only thing about you and it's definitely not the only thing that Chloe loves about you but it is a big part of him and so Lucifer is now having a full on identity crisis because the big question to him is who am I what is the use of me and what does Chloe see in me it is a question that he's always had but being confronted with the situation it obviously gets brought back up even though uh, Chloe I think have addressed this quite well when he had the full body transformation transformation into the devil form and she had a talk with him in the in the penthouse but insecurities like this cannot be resolved from external confirmation they have to be resolved within yourself yes and we'll talk about it later on but i adore pete for his speech later yes it's very very good and it's very well written everything in this episode just gives you enough and even the little details where lucifer leaving linda's house is mumbling to himself practicing saying what do you truly desire what what do you truly desire you know that little detail made me extremely happy while also a little sad I do worry for him from this moment onward because not knowing who you are apart from the big thing people know about you or know you for or associate with you is bad. It's hard and realizing that you are more than just one or two big things that other people have use for, that you are valid and good and worthy with you being you and what you was made of is a very lengthy process. So I feel for him. But also, this is a very mature problem. Lucifer has grown. So I'm also kind of proud of him. We go over to the crime scene and I am not proud of Ella because she is as inappropriate as always. Well, technically, they're not at the crime scene yet. So I... I am just here to root for Ella and scream, one of us, one of us, 
One of us. One of us. What I absolutely adored is her assuming so strongly that something went wrong. That it takes her a while to process what Chloe says. And then she needs to literally walk back and be like, what, wait a moment, say that again. (laughs) And from that moment on, Ella is basically in La La Land. Because Lucifer shows up, Ella quickly shares the whole Pete thing. And then she's just looking at Chloe and Lucifer. And there's nothing happening in her face at Brad except she actually shares the beat thing before Lucifer shows up because Lucifer showing up and her seeing them together causes the face that she kind of carries on for the rest of the scene but I love and we've talked about this numerous of times on this podcast I love when Lucifer as a TV show gets so self-aware because the way they do it it's endearing and it's really pleasant and it's not too hard for anybody it's just like a little nod to us as the fans Ella is all of us shipping Star, while also Chloe saying it has been a long road, but well, here we are, is literally, it's perfect. Ella deserves every second and ounce of happiness. And so having her happy because her ship is happening and happy because she is actually in a healthy, fulfilling relationship just makes me very happy because Ella deserves happiness and should have more of it. Yeah. But speaking of happiness, Daniel called in sick. Oh, El Espinosa, as she calls him, which is a bit weird, but... Okay, he called in sick, which did not yet raise all the red flags to me. It made sense to me that he needs some time to process. And we're going to talk about Daniel when we are at the graveyard, I think. Okay, yeah, let's do that. But I just wanted to point that out because this is the first indication of something not quite going so well. Yeah, but it made sense to me. So I wasn't worried yet. We go inside and we get a proper murder set up. And this felt a bit Hannibal-esque to me because this is what I love about the show Hannibal with all these murder tableaus. It's grim and I don't like it. It's wonderful. I love it. It made me so happy. It's really beautiful with the blood splatter on the flowers and everything. Yay. But of course, the all-consuming thing in this part of the scene is Lucifer using his mojo we don't get the usual mojo sound effect and it doesn't work Mm -hmm. and from this moment forward i was convinced that chloe actually did transfer it on herself i was still skeptical we get the title card and then chloe interviews the neighbor that's such a funny moment because you have chloe doing her job and not actually paying any attention to the mojo or what happened with it and lucifer in the background throughout the entire conversation is just running back and forth trying to use his mojo on all the people in there it's incredible and it doesn't work well we could debate and i'm not sure if you want to debate this now or maybe later on the reason for him not to be able to bring desire in other people could be the fact that he doesn't have the desire to take it out from them you know it he is so satisfied that he has no desire to pull out desires yes i want to shelve this discussion until we see how and if and when his mojo comes back properly how and and if okay this is just something that occurred to me now as we're talking about it, because there are other possible explanations why he doesn't have the mojo. But at this very moment, I'm 
assuming that Chloe has it. My working theory after this episode is that Lucifer was so shocked by the genuine question from Chloe, what do you truly desire, that he thought that he did not answer out of his own free will and thus internalized the only possible and potential explanation that she has his mojo. And basically like a self-fulfilling prophecy, that's why his isn't working because if she has it, his can't be working. Yeah, my explanation for that was that he really desires to tell her what he desires. So he just tells her the truth regardless of if he is actually willing to or not because that's his thing. So I think that the fact that he is reacting to her is connected to his truthfulness and the fact that he is so open to her. But that's kind of one of many theories that could be a solution for this situation. So I hope they're going to actually give us the reasoning for this. Let's go back to the interview of the neighbor because it's a nerd. But once again, the writing does not do the characters justice because the neighbor says he was in Northrend running a 17-hour raid plundering a Lich King's Barrow, which is a very outdated raid that was released in 2009 called Ice Crown Citadel. Any player today can finish the raid in under two hours with little effort. This was also commented on in the ratings on IMDb and I got it extra confirmed from a World of Warcraft playing friend. So Lich King Sparrow 2009 ancient reference. This is what happens when you only use Google. Maybe they should have asked the World of Warcraft pro like later with the Klingon where they used a Klingonist because they did. Well, we get through the interview and Lucifer, as he was frantically running behind Chloe back and forth, comes up back to her and she seems to be very unfaced with it. And I was wondering why. And it gets revealed that she actually didn't think it's real. She actually thought that Lucifer was taking the piss when he answered her question. So when he asked her to use the mojo on him again, she hesitates and then she is very much surprised that it actually works. That brings us to another moment where Chloe seems to be very dismissive of Lucifer's feelings. And again, I say, I understand that she wants to just move forward with the relationship because she has said before to Ella already, I know it's incredible that we actually managed to get here because, you know, it's been forever. She's very hyper-focused on the now-gained relationship status that she is disregarding the emotions of the people involved. But Lucifer, he has spent millennia defining himself with desire and he lost that one thing, that one tidbit of his powers that he actually ever liked about himself. So this is a very significant thing for him. Yeah. And I agree with your previous statement, she should take it more seriously. So even though I kind of sympathize with her on the side of I understand what she's going for, I think she should definitely be more sensitive about this subject because I am with Lucifer. If I would be in a situation like that where the only one thing that I ever liked about myself just disappeared, I'd be all over the place as well. Linda later on explains it. I feel very good to Chloe and sets it into comparison. But first... 
We need to get to Linda's home where Ames is daddying. Yay! He is building educational recreation center for his son, which is basically a toy. It is definitely. And Mace walks in on him, kicking shit around. And she <laughs> asks him and says, well, Linda said that you're out dodging baseball bats. Which is so hilarious. And then we get another instance of Dan dodging something else. And that started to make me actually sad that Dan is now avoiding Amenadiel, which of course makes sense because Amenadiel was standing right next to devil-faced Lucifer. And wasn't faced by it. This is where I started to feel really, really, really sad for Dan. Uh, and we will soon talk more about that bit. But this entire scene made me pretty sad because Mace talks about her childhood. I had two rocks, a sharp one and a not sharp one, the sharp one to stab things and the dull one to make things sharp. Make it sharp. And Amenadiel has no life apart from being a dad. And both of these momentary glimpses that we get into their lives make me really sad. Yeah. With Mace it didn't surprise me as much because we've heard about her childhood quite a bit lately. But with Ames, see this is one of those things that I guess is really difficult for new parents as well. But for me, selfishly, as a person who doesn't have kids and who knows a lot of people who do have kids, it's sometimes a struggle for these people to not only remember what the life have been before the kid, but also who they were before the kid. And I get it. Children are important. And especially if you are planning on being a parent, it can take up a lot of you. But you should never forget who you were before the kids came along. Because that's just a little sad. And it is not pathetic. It is sad. No, it's definitely sad and not anything else. Especially because we see the contrast between Linda and Ames. Linda has found the balance that she was looking for in her life. Because Linda was not happy when she was just stressing over Charlie. And Amenadiel has not found who and what he is yet apart from being Charlie's dad. And we're going to talk about where Ames lands on when we get there, because I have opinions. We end the scene on a terrifying smile from Mace. <laughs> I love it when she smiles. And we jump right into finally the first song of this episode called Are You Ready by Grand Mystic. Woo! This is one of the moments where I am 12 years old. Because when Lucifer talks about throat exercises, I am just... <laughs> so you did find it funny. I was worried for you because you sometimes don't appreciate Lucifer's special sense of humor. I do when it's sexual in nature. Because I am a 12-year-old. I thought that all of his jokes are sexual in nature. No, sadly not. Some are supposed to be funny or puns and then I'm not there for it. What if it's a sexual pun? Then I'm torn. <laughs> Nothing's right, I'm torn. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. Mm. While we have this conversation, we talk about eggplant and tacos. So it's very obvious what emojis are being used in this chat. And I will never understand sexting with emojis. And I will never understand sexting. Just have sex. Come on. Sometimes it's not possible, but I have no experience with sexting. So who's to say? My only note on this part of the scene is blah blah casework. But then they are interrupted by someone walking into the door. And it's Pete! 
And Pete is a Trekkie and I already liked him, but now I like him even more. And Lucifer's reaction is classic Lucifer. But that's your thing. Ugh. She speaks Chewbacca, which is so stupid because it has been established that Lucifer is very firm when it comes to pop culture knowledge. So obviously he knows Klingon and Chewbacca and everything different from each other. I love how upset are you about that fact. <laughs> I love the fact that Pete speaks Klingon. We already know that Ella speaks Klingon because she did so in season two. And if you want to know more about this Klingon piece in the episode, like what they actually were saying, and in general a bit more about Klingon, you need to listen to this week's Devils in the Details because that's where I talk about Klingon. Let me just say here, their pronunciation is very over the top and very bad. But it fills the purpose. Yes, it fills the purpose of being a lesson in sharing. Ah, the first one. After this wonderful lesson in sharing, let's go back to actually working the case. Yeah, we head over to the recording studio following the clues that I definitely paid attention to. I didn't. I caught your sarcasm, but I gotta confess straight away, I didn't. And Lucifer commenting on sharing the mojo is super cute. He drops the title. He says our mojo and Chloe notices. That's actually really, really sweet. It is very sweet and it shows how much he's grown because the fact that he is honestly trying to deal with it this way and he is honestly trying to share this with Chloe is such a step for him. But also his true feelings kind of lurk out while they are interviewing this guy because Lucifer starts projecting. Even though he is trying to share the mojo, he is still worried that she will be better at this than he is and she will take this away from him and what he will have left. I mean, let's be honest, she is definitely not better than him in this scene or in general, but I get the worry that he has. But also this scene exists solely for the purpose to have another example of people around Lucifer doing a better job sharing and supporting their peers than he supposedly is doing. And it's a bit on the nose, but I get it. I get it. That needs to be haunted. I feel like everything that this dude says, his name has escaped me, everything that he says, it's very convenient for this to be the actual murderer. But the Niels character, the tenor, is the next suspect that we're gonna follow through in a moment. But before we get to that, we finally get a chance to talk about Dan. And I will open this scene with one note on the directing, and that is the way Dan stands over Cheryl's grave, the way that is framed, is one of the most beautiful moments of this entire episode, and I am completely in love with it. The graveyard scene hurt me in all the best and worst ways, because Dan going to Charlotte's grave, after having confirmation of demons or devils or the supernatural or whatever... This means that he now can put context to what Charlotte was talking about. That she was in hell, that she is trying to be better because she is scared of the consequences of her actions and everything. And him being like, 
at least I know this means Amenadiel's probably right and you are in heaven. He even sees this small, tiny silver lining in this abyss of horrors that he finds himself in. And that broke my fucking heart because as distraught as he is, he still has the, at least I know you're probably really in actual heaven. But I am scared. I am terrified. And he's not just terrified for himself. He is terrified for everyone he loves. And I was weeping. I was weeping in this scene. It makes complete sense for him to be worried for everybody else in his slash Lucifer's life. Because he doesn't know that they know. And this is why he's here. Because he doesn't have anybody else to talk to. Because he just assumes that nobody else knows. Logically. But one little correction on your speech there. He doesn't say probably, because I'm pretty sure that if he realizes that Lucifer's the devil, he also believes that Amenadiel is his brother, therefore an angel, so he knows that Charlotte is in heaven. He does say, at least I now know that you are in heaven, just like Amenadiel said, or something in that sense. There is no doubt in his voice or in the way he says it. But we see him struggle. And of course, when he is the most consumed by his fear, who else would show up but Michael? And the dramatic bitch Michael is so over the top. Crooked wings out, wearing a fucking white dress thing. Gown, I would call it. It's not even, it's like a, it's not even a, I don't even know what it is. He's just wearing this thing. He clearly is positioning himself so it is the most obvious to Daniel that he is actually the good. An angel. You might have heard of me the archangel michael and then he does the fucking hand motion for praying it's the whole situation is completely ridiculous and then he says i know of course i know what you are afraid of why does he know because he's been spying on him pretty much for a while is my guess and he is the one who created those fears obviously because it's fucking michael Mostly, I was, fuck you, Michael, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, really, fuck you. But I have to say, this is really well done. This is really smart. I think we established that he's a smart fucker. Honestly, he wasn't that good the first time around. But this, this is a solid plan. This is really, really well prepared. He set it up perfectly. He spun it in a way that is going to be really hard to dismiss because he didn't tell an actual lie, which makes it so much harder because Lucifer did give him the scar. Mm -hmm. He had a very good reason. This is kind of the thing that we've talked about before. The first time round when he tried to insert himself into Lucifer's life, he was not being himself. And he is not good at pretending to be Lucifer that has been established as well. So once now that he is actually himself and using his own strengths, it is understandable that his plans are actually working out much better. And I hate it. Also, the lies were where he tripped up the last time around. And this time he does not bother with any elaborate lies or pretensions. No, he just says it as it is he just leaves out very convenient bits and pieces exactly because that was also the most effective bit that he did the first time around with the gift from god comment to chloe because it was not a lie and it was the most painful one so as much as i hate that and as much as this scene 
hurt me. I have to say, I hate everything about it, but it's awesome. And this is one of those moments where I say, Lucifer writers know exactly what their audience is, a bunch of masochists. You keep saying that. And they keep proving me right. Ugh, I don't want to talk about this fucker again. Or anymore, rather. He doesn't show up the rest of the episode, so... Good. We're done on Michael. <laughs> Sadly, we're not done with some other things. We go into the penthouse and Chloe is talking while she walks in and the camera moves around and we see a naked leg and another naked leg and then we see a naked Lucifer. And he's very explicit that they should have the sex again, but him on top this time. Yay for the sex, because that's definitely how he lost his mojo, how Chloe stole his mojo, because she was on the top, right? Obviously, that's why you have to be very careful who is on top at which time. I mean, you can have the other person on top, but make sure that you have a second round where you're on top. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, this makes sense. It's like a similar thing when uh, they say that for a certain gender of a baby that you're gonna have, you're gonna conceive that you need to be in a certain position in order for that to make happen. It makes a very similar amount of sense. Wow, I've never heard this one, but yes, it sounds about as sensible as the bullshit I just just said. Yes. What did not sound like bullshit was Chloe's comparison between the mojo and STDs. And that made me laugh out loud while watching. Perfect choice of words. The mojo is an STD now. Wonderful. (laughs) Ah, So we're stopping calling it our mojo this episode. It's going to be called our STD. Yes. Good, good. And I am sad to say Chloe is right. Sex this way would be no fun. And I also would not be interested. Again, if I'm going to compare it to making babies, if you're just going to have sex for the sole purpose of conceiving, it's going to take the fun out of it. It feels like there's a there's a very good kind of a parallel between these two things. So Chloe brings this up and... I get where Lucifer is coming from again and that he is trying to solve his issues with the sex because that is just kind of what he does. But as I said in my notes, I'd rather he tried to actually talk about these things. And boy, how happy I was when we switched the scene and we are at the couples therapy. But right before we switch, we have once again Chloe with the sharing comment. And this is not sharing. Lucifer is right. He has lost something and she has gained it. And I was very angry, but I understood that Lucifer was not capable of phrasing this in a way to explain it. And so just like you, I was so fucking happy that he went straight back to Linda in the proper therapy setting this time. And I mean, this is the third time that he has sat down with a more or less significant other when it comes to relationship advice in front of Linda. He sat there with Mezzakine, he sat there with Eve, and now he sits there with Chloe. He sat there with Candy as well, didn't he? Oh, right! I'm pretty sure he did, but it was prompted by somebody else, or it was his therapy session, but he brought Candy with him or something like that. It wasn't actual couples therapy. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't actually about an issue between those two because those two never had an issue. Exactly, because we know why. Let's not get into details. So Mazuki, not as a lover, but they also had sex and it was about their relationship to each other. Eve and now Chloe. So poor Linda really doing more than her part when it comes to Lucifer's couples counseling. Yeah, and then with Candy, I would say that she was trying to do couples therapy, even though they didn't want to do the couples therapy. So she chooses to do this. It is her job after all. So, you know, poor Linda, 
But also, she chose this job for a reason, so I think that she's fine with this. It is a great therapy session, though. Linda brings up a lot of very good points. I am very happy that she sides with Lucifer, in a sense. And all the praise that she gives him. Yeah, and I am very happy that Chloe is open to the ideas that Linda is bringing in. Because, I mean, it makes sense because Chloe is the adult one in this relationship. The more mature one. Yes, it is nice to see anyway. I mostly love the phrasing because Linda is able to put it in a perspective that makes Makes sense for Chloe, but obviously, as per usual, Linda phrases something that sets us up for a classic Lucy misunderstanding or misinterpretation. So when she compares the mojo to Chloe being a detective, it was clear that Lucifer is going to be a detective because this is his MO. Yay. I mean, it was hilarious, so I'm here for it. Yes, absolutely. But this is the formula that has been tried and tried again, and it fucking works. Also, I love that Lucy is so proud of being praised. And then he asks for the shortcut and you see the disappointment on Linda's face. Yeah, no. <laughs> no more praise for Lucifer. But before we can see Lucy as wonderful lieutenant detective, actually, we have to go to Lux. And because it is Lux, there is a song. And this was actually a song that I hoped you would cover in your Devils in the Music. Because the song is going, give me some of the power, which is very, very explicitly referring to this episode. And now that I read my note, it just confirms that you were right about the obsession of the week for this episode. It is about power. (laughs) Ooh, look at me go. Also, fun fact for you. This is actually the song that I was originally going to cover. Ooh. However, there is a very, very limited information about this band and this song Ooh. on the internet. So I have decided to give you the one fun fact that I found in the main episode. Drum roll. The song is Power by Songs of Legion, which is a two-man band that got together after a wild night out in Memphis. They were at a rock and roll concert or some sort of a gig, which somehow turned into a massive bar fight (laughs) with broken bottles and busted guitars and everything. And when the fight was finally over, these two lads sat down over a bottle of Jack Daniels and found out that they have more in common than they ever expected and formed this band. That is awesome. It's incredible. It made me so happy to find this little tidbit. But unfortunately, that is the only thing that I could find about them as a band. It is from directly from their website. And I think it's totally worth it. So there you go. Now I get why we didn't get more for this. And I accept it. Thank you. I have a tiny IMDb fact that is very obvious, but I still want to read it out because I really appreciate the attention to detail. Because Mezikin obviously attempts to recreate her fight scene from the Manly Whatnots episode, which is season one, episode four. And she is wearing the exact same clothes, earrings and hairstyle as she oh, did then. Fun. And she is handing him his original robes. Yes. So she is creating the same setup to create the same spark. Meta-wise, the instrumentation and the beats of the song are extremely similar to the music that was used in season one, episode four for this scene. Another fun fact for you, that is not the same song that just played during the transition of the scenes. It is a new one by Wine Lips 
called Electric Lady. Two songs in one scene. We get that and we get the lick of Emanuel's face as well as we did back then. And there is a lot of parallels and, and nods to the original fight scene. The fight scene is so much better than it was in season one. Except one exception. The demon knife should have cut into the bar, but she slides to the side because it's obviously not an actual demon knife. So it doesn't go into the bar like butter, which it actually should be doing. Interesting tidbit. However, it is a beautiful choreography to watch. And if you, especially because they are making the direct comparison, to that fight from season one. It's difficult not to compare the levels of fights. And as much as I love the one from season one, this has grown so much more. And you get, as I have mentioned before on the pod, the way they tailor all the moves to the one specific character is incredible. And it is getting better with every single episode that we have a fight. Absolutely. The fighting styles are way more distinguished than they were in season one. And I I'm here to appreciate it and love it. Thank you. But as much as we appreciate the fight scene itself, it's very quickly very obvious that this is not going to work. And the second I realized it for myself is also the moment when May says that this is not working. And then she walks off. I think a great moment of growth for Mace here is that she realizes it before she actually takes it any further. Which, again, beautiful little tidbit of character development in this episode. I'm so happy with Maze not only not spiraling, but continuing to grow. Because I repeatedly have worried in the last few episodes, like, oh no, this is going to send her over the edge. This is going to send her over the edge. And every single time I get proven wrong and I love it. Yes, there is a lot of happiness on that side. So, it is time for the opera. Oh, yes. My brain skipped a scene because I fucking hate this guy and I don't want to talk about him. No worries, I shall talk about it because I thought they were shooting a music video because he obviously was not singing live. So I thought it was a music video. No, it is a photo shoot. Same, same thought process. Perfect. We get the reveal. Lucifer has a gun and I was like, I was right. He has a gun and I'm pretty sure there's going to be more. And there is more because we get a double badge reveal, which of course is a freeze frame moment (laughs) because Lucifer's badge number is 666 with Lieutenant Detective rank that is above the detective Chloe is. Do you think it's a real badge that he just stole off somebody or did he have it created? Wait. Oh, okay, okay. Taken from IMDb. Going from the blue writing in the letters and numbers and the slight design difference from Chloe's batch, Lucifer seems to have liberated this batch from the Diablo props department. Nice! I like that. It's much better than him actually going out of his way to have himself made one because he just swiped this one when nobody's looking. And that is very much Lucifer brand. Yeah, so I am more than happy to accept this. While I agree with you that the dude in the scene is an absolute fucking asshole and we hate him, I couldn't help myself but love the... Oh no, those allegations are true, but they're irrelevant. That 
was so perfect. It is perfect while also it's very sad because yes, this is the world we live in. If you are an asshole who is successful, you can be as much of an asshole you want to be. And unfortunately, that comes down to actual crime. You can commit and nobody's gonna punish you for that because you are a big shot. And I hate that. I hate that about the world. Go away with your realism. Let me stay in my escapism because inside my escapism universe, this is fun and entertaining. Outside in the reality, it is horrifying and bad. Mm-hmm. So I am going to ignore the real world and just enjoy the... Oh no, they're completely true. But irrelevant. Especially if you look at it from the point of view that he was going to be exposed by a woman. And he was so completely unworried about that, that it is terrifying. But it brings us to the whole mojo situation, which I was like, what the fuck is happening? Because I have seen this episode before. I was for some reason convinced that Lucifer has his mojo back somehow. And I was frantically trying to remember how did he get it back? Because they didn't have sex. There was just no way for him to get it back. So then when he goes in and his mojo doesn't work again, I was just completely confused because I had zero recollection of what happens with the mojo later. I was so distracted by the fact that Chloe is so awkward with the phrase that nothing else had space in my brain. And that was so weirdly distracting and entertaining. And like I said, I really, really give them props that neither Linda nor Chloe are remotely endurable when they say this phrase. Every single time Lucifer says it, it just sounds natural from the very first instant on. It's the accent though. I don't know. Like, honestly, I don't know why. I guess it's just because we're so used to it coming from Lucifer slash Tom Ellis that it might be maybe that. But it already feels natural in episode one. So I don't know, but I can live with this. And at the end of the scene, we know no one has the STD. And so where did it go? (laughs) Where did the STD go? Which, where the fuck did it go? Wait, turns out Chloe never had it because your man was just starstruck. The realization actually was kind of satisfying. It made sense. It made sense, but also it was unexpected. So, you know, it ticked both of the boxes. Yeah, it made sense, but wasn't obvious. And then, of course, Lucifer says, okay, you have to do it once again with me. And Chloe is so fed up with asking this question that she's just like, what you desire. And it's so hilarious because she has no space for this. And we get the music again and Lucifer says, I want this to stop. The ringing. The subtitle says ringing. So my theory in this moment is that and I think I mentioned that. I think that he just wants to share with Chloe what he desires. So subconsciously he feels the need to tell her even though he consciously is refusing to. So that's why it feels that she's using his his mojo on him. That is my theory. And that's all I have to say about the scene. Perfect. We go to the murder to be scene. And I'm really sorry, but girl, you're not that smart. There's a stranger in your home and you go, oh, help me, please. Something strange has happened. Really? Well, it feels since there was no fight or anything like that, she might 
might not be considering him a stranger. So maybe she knew him. Maybe he's some sort of a person that inserted himself into her life. Wouldn't she then have used his name or something? Not necessarily. It felt super off to me. Maybe she doesn't know his name. Maybe she knows him as a delivery man or something like that. Just she knows his face. I mean, you're tied up and you're missing some time and the first person you see, I would not go, oh, perfect that you're here. Please help me. I mean... I understand the reaction. I feel like asking for help can be uh, the first thing on your brain when you do such a thing. But I don't know. But they have a really, really nice transition between her being killed and then this turning into the actual crime scene with the light slash time passing outside of the window. So that was really, really well done. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like this is the creepiest killer that we've encountered on this show so far. Do you find it so curious still what parts you find creepy and which parts you don't? Like We have had this discussion several times, but I still find it very, very intriguing. Eh, My brain just works a different way. I just have to remark that the wrist ties look really, really nice on the body. So props to the killer. Well done. Creepy Lena. What? When I see ropes, I check out how well they're tied. Lena, let's not talk about this because you are taking it to the creep land. What? She is literally dead. Yeah, but he knew his shit. That's okay. Fine. Let's good handiwork. Congratulations, killer, for being good with your hands and tying stuff. Yeah, he also has great taste in flowers. They're really pretty. Flowers, I admit, they are very pretty. See? Also, for some reason, with the blood spattered over them, they look prettier. See? So he definitely has an aesthetic. Yeah, and that is my point. So don't go judging me here for assessing the handiwork. There is no judgment here. I'm just saying that you're taking it to the creepland. Uh-huh. Mrs you agree that the flowers are prettier with blood? Hey, you agreed with me, so I don't know what you're talking about. Of course. Now. And of course, we have this very important moment, Lucifer with the insight, that this is not about taking away their voice, but taking away their power. And see, again, with this word. I already told you that you're right. You only get it once. I feel like I just got it again, so I'm happy. Thank you. However, this just adds to the creepiness of the situation and the grimness of the situation for me. The whole conversation they have, the fact that Ella is beating herself up so hard about the situation and the whole uh, I should have clocked it at the first crime scene because it was too clean. And then they mentioned the glitter, which ends up being a actual clue and I think this is the reason why Chloe then at the very end mentions that something doesn't track about this case because it just doesn't feel like somebody who was so meticulously clean and controlled at the first crime scene would leave that glitter behind. We'll talk about that when we get there but first we have to go back to the precinct and there is a song. There is actually a song that ended up being my devils in the music because even though I didn't find too much information about it it was I assessed enough to share with the lovely patrons. So here we have 
bad by Royal Deluxe. Like the burger. I still say it sounds like a drag name and I love it. We get Chloe walking in with a bunch of files. And we have her converse with Ella. And like you just talked about, Ella took this really, really, really hard. But apparently, since then, some time has passed because she has talked with Pete. And Pete is super supportive and he helped her realize that she should not focus on what she did wrong, but what she can now do right. Indeed. Good bean Pete. I love it. They're so cute. They're so cute together. It's it's incredible. And the when you watch this and you see how much Ella flourishes when she gets this emotional support, it makes me wonder how much good and positive and how much better can she be now? If somebody gives you the attention how much you can grow. Yeah, and she was already good, but now she has a chance to be fucking great. She has a chance to be even more special than she is, yeah. But as happy as she is, she is also still shipping Star so hard. Of course! We go into the flower shop and this scene made me incredibly happy mostly because of one tiny, tiny moment and that is when the dude says that his granny doesn't like cops and she looks at them and snips the flowers. <laughs> That's so funny. That was beautiful timing and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Makes you wonder if she really doesn't understand English. Anyway, Lucifer is clearly showing off all of his talents in this scene. Well, Chloe is kind of praising all of his qualities, which is very endearing. It is very nice and I think he really appreciates it. Yes. I think it really helps the whole situation. He mentions it later on, but it's just a really nice Decker Star fighting crime moment, which I have loved. All in all, this scene gives us the clue with the glittery band. So we have a clue. But before we can go along with the story of the case of the week, we have to go back to Lux to have a Manadiel and Mace interaction. And once again, the music is on fucking point because when we cut over into it and the song is playing and the camera moves to Ames and Mace, the line is when it hurts just to breathe. And this was my second hope for your devil to the music. How sad. You can put this on your switcheroo list if you want to. I already have so many options. Mm, you're gonna have to pick one. I recommend you pick the meatiest one. <laughs> Meat. Okay. <laughs> Did not see that reaction coming. But the song itself is called Round and Round by Cannons. And I loved this scene because I had so many worries about this whole situation and how it's gonna evolve and none of them came to fruition. It was actually an extremely wholesome conversation. Mace hanging out with Ames because they're friends and Amenadiel being extremely supportive and a very good bean for even coming out and talking to Mace because he understood that she needed a friend in him. Well, she has this approach that everyone has rejected her, but she was the one to reject Amenadiel. And maybe it takes an angel to love a soulless demon. And that was a very, very painful line. But then Amenadiel goes into his speech. Yes, which is very, very good. That speech was so beautiful. It was so fucking beautiful. And D.B. Woodside does his very soft delivery, as he often does as D.B. Woodside. But Leslie Ann's reaction to this, the face acting, just 
elevates it to yet another level. And so this scene I really, really enjoyed. But I wouldn't be me if I didn't have a complaint. Because Ames uses as one of his examples, no one ever heard of a human and an angel having a baby before. And I go, um, you guys all knew that a human and an angel could have a baby together and that it's a Nephilim. So obviously there is something that is known about this. So I think the lore is a bit shaky on this one. It might be, but also you could approach it from the point of view where they were told it was possible, but because it never actually happened, nobody believed it. Everybody just thought it was an old wife's tale. No. That is your right to say no. (laughs) I'm going to shorten this discussion with a no. No. But we again run into the issue with Saul and we have mentioned that on multiple episodes now. Personally, to me, this feels extremely organic and I love the way they are approaching it and they're kind of picking up the pace of Mace's struggle about the soul because it has been addressed before and it feels like she pushed it to the back of her mind for a very long time and she just left it there and tried to ignore it because we all knew denial is a girl's best friend and then a little tidbits like her interaction with her mother and her meeting Eve and finally the one comment that the throwaway comment that Ella made last episode about a soulmate that just brought everything up again and it's extremely raw it's extremely sensitive and not that I love to see May struggle but I love the way they are building this up and I'm hoping this is gonna resolve itself into something bigger that they're not gonna just brush it away like something unimportant or just give it like a quick ending in one episode I really hope that they're gonna really go into it in detail And I have big expectations for them because they are the writers of Lucifer. Same. We hold them to high standards because they have proven that they can do it. So they better do it. Yay. And now we get to my favorite visual thing regarding this episode. I have just plainly named this scene The Shining because... Absolutely so. Even with the music that they start this scene with, it's just an instrumental that is created for the show. They start this whole scene by taking the camera work where the kid is paddling towards the elevators and the amount of references in just that one shot to The Shining. Even if you haven't seen The Shining, you can clock this as a Shining reference. And if you have seen The Shining... And if you've seen it as many times as I have... But now, this whole scene opens with the specific music that reminds us of the the beginning of the entire Shining movie. The kid on the bike, the pattern on the walls, being the original carpets, every single detail, including the shade of the color on the doors, I'm pretty sure is also taken very much from the original movie. I went back when they say the number of the units being 705 and I was trying to figure out how is it connected to 507 yes season 5 episode 7 so when they mentioned the unit number I was trying to connect it to The Shining but then I realized that it's the episode number which I think is brilliant and it's very smartly done so thank you for that little tidbit and thank you for the opportunity to figure this out for myself as well it wasn't that difficult (laughs) you're absolutely welcome 
while we are in this apartment building, which I thought was a hotel, actually. I didn't realize it was an apartment building, but they say later on that it is. Chloe is still keeping on with the laying it on thick with the Lucifer appreciation. But I can appreciate the thing she is trying to do. Yeah, and so does Lucifer. He's pointing it out that it's a bit thick, but he appreciates it. While also with the same breath admitting that this is a situation that he needs to deal with by himself and he doesn't necessarily need to drag her into that because it's a problem within him. And she does close up this uh, praise be Lucifer quite expertly in my opinion because she lets him kick in the door which makes absolute perfect sense because he has superhuman strength. Yeah, that while also they for once have the actual warrant to enter the unit. So he is actually not breaking the law by kicking out the door. And she is the one who knows how to use a gun so it makes sense that she She is the one with the gun and he is kicking in the door and taking names. Alas, there are no names because the place is empty, but it has all the tools needed for the next attack. We have the receipt for flowers, we have rope, we have the serial killer wall, we have cages. It is terrifying. We get an amazing camera work, which comes back a minute later or so when we watch this entire thing from the top. Yeah, they have taken out the ceiling. Very beautifully done. While also, to me, them walking into an apartment like that, I am extremely mistrustful. It just feels too perfect. It's the same way when the other guy was trying to blame the opera singer for the murder or something. It was just way too convenient. It's super easy, but they find pictures pictures of the probable next victim and Ella shows up with Pete. That they do and they are wearing their Star Trek cosplays which is adorable. Though I do worry for Pete because he was red and in the original series a red shirt is dead shirt. Yeah red shirt is dead shirt that is absolutely accurate. Even I know that and I have seen like two episodes of Star Trek. So I do worry for him because he is a very newly introduced character to the cast that we have already grown attached to and if this is a foreshadowing that they're going to kill him soon I'm going to be very angry because I have come to care for Pete. But I still had to point it out. Also, it is perfect that Ella wears blue for science. Sure, I did not know that. But thank you for educating me. (laughs) However, they are extremely in sync and... It just makes me so happy seeing them like that. When they're going through the films. They finish each other's sentences. And also Pete calls her else. This is their second date. They're perfect. They're perfect for each other. Though, are you sure it's just their second date? Because I'm pretty sure they already had sex. Yes, but from my understanding, they had sex after the first date. Because the day she agrees to go out with him is also the day Chloe and Lucifer end up having sex. So Ella and Chloe had sex on the same night. Yes, exactly. They're equally satisfied. (laughs) Does Pete also have a magic dick? Um, I'm sorry. Clearly for Ella, he does. Okay, never mind. They are so adorable. They find the fucking photo room. They work perfectly in tandem. She asks, can you hand me? And he knows instantly what it is. She doesn't even have to finish a sentence. He just hands it over. They work perfectly together. And they find the photo with the info that 
the victim lives in this house and that she lives on the ninth floor. So perfect work by them. So now we can run up to the ninth floor and again we get the elevator opening. They're splitting immediately because they will cover more ground, which we know as a horror trope is not the best thing to do. So sadly or thankfully probably, Chloe is not the one to find the matching door that we are needing. It's Lucifer. And he goes in without calling out for Chloe which makes sense and he gets surprised and he gets ejected I was extremely tense this entire scene because we have the music we have the situation we have Lucifer being attacked it's extremely dark everywhere in this building does this building has no lights explain that to me is it in the middle of the night it's not in the middle of the night it's what anyway I was extremely extremely wound up watching this I was very jumpy especially because we don't know how close Chloe is to him in this given moment. We know that she's on the same floor. And so in the beginning, it seems like the poison isn't working, but then it is. So we're like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, 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 fuck. And the worst bit about this is that they are not unconscious. They are clearly both conscious, just paralyzed. So Lucifer is sitting down. He can't move except his eyeballs, because apparently eyeballs are paralyzed by this that he also can still blink. I mean, paralyzing agent in TV is always very, very entertaining. And I think you were right with the assumption that not only did Lucifer lose his mojo, but also Chloe lost some of her super cop abilities because she just walks right in and is completely oblivious for way too long about what is going on. And I am sorry, super cop Chloe knows better than to do this. She was distracted by the love of her life being paralyzed right in front of her, even though he is a powerful angel. Exactly. And so I think you're right. Lucifer's magic dick stole some of her competence. Uh, Here we go. Now, (coughs) she turns around at the very last moment because the dude is taking about 20 seconds to stab her. And also Lucifer signals with the eyes. It's so hilarious. It takes her way too long to notice that. So I am not going to talk about that. So the dude just stands behind her for about 20 seconds with a knife up. He's sneaking up on her. He's literally standing there with a knife up for like five seconds at least. It is Chen Shen. You're right. So she notices, turns around, shoots him the last minute. And I'm like, you should do a double tap, Chloe, because that's how you're trained to kill people is double tap. Poof, poof, bang, bang. That's definitely in my head. But I was like, oh no, you need to murder him. Turns out she didn't kill him because she is a super cup Chloe. And it's definitely not because she has trouble aiming because we did not see that bit before. I completely assumed he was dead and I was very, very, very confused when they lead him out at some point. Yeah, it was just after he comes down and I expected him to get up again. Because she didn't do the double tap. Then the dude is being walked around. I'm like, what the fuck? Turns out (laughs) she shot him in a shoulder. Because she is just that good. So the case is being wrapped up and Ella and Pete are still way too cute together. And some conversation happens and I have a question. I also have a question. And I think that might be the same question. Where does Pete get the idea from that Lucifer doesn't like him? That is the same question that I have. Perfect. Dear listeners, where does Pete get the idea from that Lucifer doesn't like him? I think that it's because when they show up earlier, Lucifer has some comments about, oh, them? 
they are coming over. But that doesn't make sense because they're not here yet. So he wouldn't hear that. I was also struggling to find the reason for Pete to having this type of a feeling. So that was kind of weird. Okay. We are in agreement that there is no answer to that. Good. But it leads us to the speech that he gives him at the end. He finishes it up with, I just figured deciding if I'm good enough or not. That's not up to me. That's up to her. And that is something that really affects Lucifer. And he is going to take that forward to the relationship with Chloe. Or so I assume. Yes, I agree with everything you say. I really appreciate Pete sharing this insight and giving Lucifer this parallel. This is a good bro moment. It is. Especially weirdly enough, because they don't have any established relationship just yet. Which is weirdly connected to our question that we just had. So this is a nice... Nice build-up of a relationship. You don't have the DVD set for this, right? I do wonder if there is maybe a deleted scene or something. I don't think there would be, but who's to say? That is the only explanation I have in my brain. That maybe there is a deleted scene or part of a scene where they establish some kind of rapport with each other. That is now being referenced here and this is why it feels so off. But we'll figure it out at some point. We go into the penultimate scene and I am sorry, Amenadiel, I'm pretty sure you did not almost have sex with Mace when you were fighting. Oh, is that what you took from that scene? Okay, yeah, I didn't really even pay attention to that comment. I think that he is just trying to exaggerate for effect because it's Ames. I found it hilarious because it is definitely very Ames. And I'm also going to say when he goes, I got this caretaker thing down. All right, headcanon accepted. Amenadiel, is a daddy dom and that is now my head canon, and I shall live with it Linda actually is the one who said that and I for one love this description of Emanuel it makes me very happy because it's precisely what Ames is he is a caretaker for everybody around him essentially and I really I see you giggling there because you are thinking about all the other implication of what this would mean for you but from a genuine point of view I think a caretaker it's like his superpower being the one who is there for other people being the one who takes care for people in general it just makes total sense to me and to me I'm gonna use this perfect I'm living in my happy head canon I can see that And Linda ends this scene on a perfect note that completely throws Ames off by saying, if we gonna do our job right, Charlie's gonna need us less and less every day. And with the realization that he is a caretaker and he is indeed being a dad as his main job description currently, that terrifies Amenadiel to no ends. And that just brings me giggly joy because that's so funny and it's gonna end up being a thing and it's gonna be fun to watch. Also, it's just perfect that Linda keeps dropping these truths of mortal life on these celestial beings and more often than not, afterwards just goes away. She does this with Maze, she does this with Amenadiel, and she sometimes even does this with Lucifer. Usually Lucifer is the one to go away after she drops truths on him. But this is a recurring thing for Linda. Life truths of mortal life for Celestials 101. Like she should write a fucking 
book on this. But it is time for the last scene. And it starts so nice. Watching Chloe being at the penthouse working. As Lucifer says, it feels so right. My comment was, this is very domestic. Question, where's Trixie? Because Dan called it sick. So Trixie cannot be with him. With her nanny that lives next door or with Mace. So I was just wondering that Chloe can just spontaneously hang out. I think Mace is very willing to babysit at any point. I think that is my headcanon. I'm convinced about that. Okay. And of course, this is the moment where we get verbalization from Chloe that there is something about this case that bothers her. And it has been established time and time and time again on the show that when Chloe's gut says something is wrong or says something is right, in the end, she is proven correct. And so obviously something is fishy about this case. You've already pointed out several things that might prompt this feeling on first glance don't match and how easy and convenient several things throughout this investigation have been. So there are things that don't ring quite right and I would be very surprised if this does not get resolved in the next episode because usually when we have Chloe with her gut the longest it takes is two episodes to resolve something. Usually we resolve her gut feeling within one episode So to have this come in at the very end to me feels like, okay, this is going to be what is occupying her next episode. I'm not completely sure about that because the cliffhanger that we get is very much distracting and she does get distracted pretty easily by Lucifer asking her for a drink. So as much as I agree with you and to me... Her saying something doesn't feel about this case is pretty much canon. This case, there's something wrong with it and we will see how it plays out. But she does get easily distracted from it at this moment. And Lucifer asks her for a drink because it's a lovely night and they stand out on the terrace having a conversation. And Chloe starts talking and she starts dropping the truths. She starts talking about Lucifer opening up and maybe her chipping away a little bit from the wall that he built around himself. And she means it as a compliment, clearly. She means it as a good thing. But when she says that, Lucifer repeats it and agrees with it. But you can see that he is taking it as a bad thing. He's not happy with this. In this moment, we get the very last song of our episode called Inside by Chris Avantgarde and Red Rosamond. And... Oh boy, what is about to unfold in the last 30 seconds of this episode? Before we go into the final happenings, Chloe is putting such a positive spin on the happenings with the mojo and Lucy opening up and becoming potentially even more vulnerable with her, which is, of course, paralleling the happenings in the previous episodes when she realized that he is self-actualizing his being literally vulnerable close to her and that this now probably is another layer of this because Lucifer is after all an onion and I think Lucifer's realization that she's probably correct is a very negative one and this is the only thing that gives me proper hope 
for what happens in the next 30 seconds because my assumption or my prognosis was hopefully Lucifer will not overcorrect that he closes up so much that he is not only not as vulnerable as before but goes into the other extreme and gets more invulnerable around Chloe or something. I don't know. Grows a second head. I don't know. You know what I mean. So instead of losing all his powers towards her, he regains all of them. And more. As long as she's near him, he's going to be super Lucifer or something. I don't know. He's going to go overboard with this. That I am sure of. Because it's Lucifer. If he survives this. And that is what gives me hope that he survives this. I'd be surprised if it worked this quickly, though. Well, we have seen self-actualization work pretty instantly because angels are fucked up creatures. The elevator door opens and I say once again, can Lucifer please put a fucking lock on this elevator? In all fairness, if there was a lock, Dan would probably have the key because they are bracelet bros, remember? Lucifer completely trusts him at this point. But still, I say, dude, you need to lock your fucking door. Well, obviously, but I'm trying to find a way around it. Shh, don't. Dan walks in and only shit, Kevin Alejandro looks like shit. He looks like literal death walking. Yes, that sounds accurate. Yeah, there is a reason for it. I mean, he looks like death and he is death walking because of what is about to happen. But also there is so much anguish and pain and sorrow happening on his face. And it is not often that Kevin gets the chance to flex his acting muscles. He usually is played for laughs, but this episode he gets to show us more depth than we've seen outside of the Charlotte situation. And it's been a while since Charlotte. So I really appreciate getting the range. The emotional depth of Dan. Of Kevin Alejandro on display for my favorite character, Dan. And he's still my favorite character, despite what he is about to do. Because obviously this is not his fault. He is not doing this because he has malicious intent. He is not doing this for any negative reasons. He is doing it because he's worried for not only himself, but he is worried for Chloe. Mainly for Chloe at this moment, because Chloe is in the apartment with them. And obviously for Trixie as well, but like... I'm pretty sure Michael spun it this way because he says to him that there is a way to save your loved ones. And so while Chloe is the one physically close to Lucifer, I'm pretty sure this is out of equal concern for Chloe's and Trixie's future happiness. But long story short, Dan apologizes to Chloe and he shoots Lucifer. That he does. And on a sounding terrified Lucifer, the episode ends and we do not see what actually happened. We see Lucifer fly back, but we don't see where exactly he has been shot. Maybe it's a shoulder shot, just like Chloe did with the serial killer. Mm-hmm. Let's go with that. So, fuck me. This is the best cliffhanger in all of Lucifer so far. Holy shit. My boy Dan is back and he shot Lucifer while Chloe was standing right next to him. My conspiracy brain is working overtime and it's clinging to the hope that I might be right with the overcorrecting reaction of Lucifer, but as Vero, the constant naysayer in my happiness, has pointed out, this might be too quick. But on the other hand, it is very obvious to me that Lucifer will not be killed, the penultimate episode for the mid-season finale, 
because the next episode already is eighth episode. And so that would be very, very weird to have him back in hell or somewhere. Ames is a daddy and nothing can change my mind. Plus, his speech for Mace was fucking brilliant. And I am so glad not only to see her not spiraling, but to see her evolving and growing despite and because of all the shit that she has been confronted with. Linda is getting to be more than just a mom now. And she has found a very healthy balance, in my opinion. And I am very, very here for that. As I pointed out, I'm a bit curious where Trixie is at with Dan calling in sick and Chloe hanging out two nights in a row at Lucifer's. But maybe also she's now old enough to be home by herself because I honestly forget how old Trixie is nowadays. All in all, this was a fucking great episode. So many tiny tidbits, so many new threads. And have I mentioned the best cliffhanger? Give me the next episode now. Yay. It was an episode, yeah. I've forgotten this is a shining one, so uh, this made me extremely happy and I loved it very fucking much. As mentioned, The Shining is actually one of the few scary movies I really, 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 really enjoy. So, yay! Next to the excitingly creepy case of the week and the imagery of the crime scenes, cameras and such and everything wrapped up around that, this was an excellent episode on character development as well. As we mentioned, we finally see Ella getting some happiness, we see Mace continuing the search for what she really wants. Ames is called a caretaker, which is absolutely perfect, and he embraces it. And then Decker Star. They seem to be working through every single thing that gets thrown in their way quite efficiently. Except, you know, maybe for the potential death. But uh, let's pretend that didn't happen. We'll see how they are gonna get through that. And please, please, more episodes like that. And with this, we say thank you for listening. Please find us on our various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards, such as early release, merch, and hours of bonus content. Yes, Hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us, because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.